Welcome to New Books and Political Science. My name is Heath Brown. Today, I have the real pleasure to talk with Joseph Nye, who is the author of Presidential Leadership and the Creation of the American Era. I hope that you enjoy this interview with Professor Nye. Welcome to New Books and Political Science. My name is Heath Brown, and today I have the real great pleasure to speak with Professor Joseph Nye. Joseph Nye, how are you today? I'm fine, thanks. It's a real pleasure to read your book, Presidential Leadership and the Creation of the American Era. Uh, You've written numerous books and many, many articles. What drew you in this particular book to the study of presidential leadership? Well, I've spent a good deal of time writing about what's the future of American power in the world. Uh, In fact, I started a book on that, uh, or first started publishing on that, and a book called Bound to Lead is published in 1990. And uh, in most of the works that I looked at, I was looking at structural factors, uh, the economy, the military balance, and so forth, to explain what happened to the United States and the world. But I hadn't uh, looked at it from the point of view of leadership uh, or the question of do presidents matter. And since I has al- I've also been interested in leadership when I was dean of the Kennedy School, we said that we were training public leaders, I was intrigued by that question of do leaders matter. So I thought, what happens if I look at the 20th century, where the United States starts out as a second-rate power and winds up at the end of the century as the world's only superpower? Uh, how much did it matter who was president? Would it all have turned out the same anyway, or did leaders matter? So it was that uh, that question of did leaders matter that uh, piqued my curiosity and led me to take this angle in this book. Yeah, and, and towards the start of the book, um, you talk a little bit about the, the study of leadership that has come before you write this book, and uh, you write a little bit about some of the mistakes that are made. And you, you write, and I, and I quote, one of the problems with leadership theory is leader attribution error. So before we start with the book, what, what is this fallacy, and, and what problems has it introduced into our understanding of the presidency in the past? Well, there's a great uh, tendency for us uh, to assume that when something happens, that leaders must have been important. Uh, so, you know, if a company does well, uh, the people praise the CEO and give them a raise, or if a sports team does badly, the coach is fired. Um, but it may be that in the first case, it was just market forces that mattered, and the second case, that it was simply the second team was better. In any case, uh, leadership attribution error is assuming that it's the leader that makes the difference, and uh, then the tendency is to focus on uh, firing or rewarding the leader. But uh, if it's all in the cards anyway, then it really doesn't matter all that much. So I was trying to test that because I don't think many of the studies that we've seen do that, particularly in international relations, there's a strong tendency to focus on explanations at the level of the international system or domestic politics and not at the level of the international leader. There's a great quote from Henry Kissinger that Walter Isaacson mentions in his book, his biography of Kissinger. He says, Kissinger said that uh, when he was at Harvard, he thought that most uh, of the explanation was in the larger abstract historical forces and structures but that after he worked in the White House, he decided that the personality of leaders did matter. 
Yeah, and one of the things that you do to um, sort of push this area of scholarship forward is you, you try to separate a couple of terms that it seems to me the argument you're making are, are often swapped and, and not distinguished clearly. And you try to separate objectives from style. So you refer to transformational leaders and incremental leaders and transactional style and inspirational style. Could you briefly walk through these distinctions and why they matter so much to the framing of your book? Well, it's a, it's a uh, tendency, or there is a tendency in leadership studies ever since James McGregor Burns published his uh, half-breaking book on leadership in 1978 to distinguish transformational leaders from transactional leaders. But again, he's not very clear in that definition of what's transformational or not. And uh, I think it's important if you distinguish style to realize that some leaders can be quite inspirational in their style, but not transformational in terms of wanting to change the world. And other leaders may be rather incremental in their uh, desire to change the world, but quite inspirational in their style. So by separating these two, uh, one can see that uh, uh, different leaders fill different roles. And so there's a matrix in the book which explains how different leaders fit in different categories. But the thing that intrigued me about the, the book is that, or about running, uh, doing the work on the book was that uh, uh, in advance, I think most people, perhaps myself included, would have said that transformational leaders, those who sought a, a great change, who had an inspirational style like Woodrow Wilson or Ronald Reagan, uh, were going to be the most significant. And that transactional leaders with, who were only incremental in their, their uh, objectives uh, would probably not be so important. As it turned out, uh, some of those transactional leaders were just as important as the transformational ones. And that's where your book really gets interesting and, and, and juicy, where you actually go into these individual presidents and, and sort of unpack them. Uh, you write about Teddy Roosevelt. Uh, and again, I quote, if transformational leadership involved profoundly changing the views of one's followers about America's role in the world, Teddy Roosevelt was a failed transformational leader. Why do you argue that Roosevelt failed in this way? Well, it, I should explain that in regard to domestic politics, uh, Roosevelt was a successful transformational leader. But in foreign policy, he wanted to change the attitudes that Americans had toward uh, the world, our role in the world, and by and large, he didn't explain it enough to the American people to really have it sink in and stay. And in that sense, he was that he failed in his efforts to transform American attitudes toward foreign policy. Um, he did some very interesting things, uh, laying the groundwork for the Panama Canal, building up the American Navy, negotiating between Japan and Russia at the end of the rest of the Japanese war, but uh, the first two of those probably would have happened anyway, um, no matter who was president within a decade or so. And in that sense, uh, Roosevelt was a significant leader, but if you take the test that I use in the book, what I call, what I call counterfactual history, which if you change the president and ask whether the outcomes would have been the same if the next most likely person had been president instead. I don't think Teddy Roosevelt really was transformational in foreign policy in the way that he was in domestic policy. 
you, you contrast then in the book Roosevelt and Woodrow Wilson with, with Eisenhower, and, and Eisenhower plays a big part in the book. How would you describe Eisenhower's style of leadership, and how do you ultimately judge his legacy as a leader? Well, Eisenhower was very much a low-key leader. Um, Fred uh, Greenstein at Princeton uh, wrote a book in which he once said uh, Eisenhower was a hidden hand leader. He basically did his work behind the scenes and was not uh, a flamboyant or inspirational in his style at all. But uh, he knew what was happening. He knew what was going on, and he was very good at being able to run things from behind the scenes. And in that sense, um, Eisenhower uh, was tremendously important. He not only consolidated the policy of containment, which Harry Truman had uh, implemented after World War II, uh, but he basically made some decisions regarding nuclear weapons, which were tremendously important. So when the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff came and recommended the use of nuclear weapons in situations like Dien Bien Phu or the Kimoi Matsu crisis in 1955, uh, Eisenhower said no. Uh, but if Eisenhower had said yes, if we had treated these uh, nuclear weapons as though they were normal weapons, we'd be living in a very different world today. And if you say, well, nobody would have fought like that, well, yes, in fact, another World War II general who wanted to be president, uh, Douglas MacArthur, uh, did indeed recommend the use of nuclear weapons. So Ike's non-decision, uh, if you want what I call the, the dog that didn't bark in Sherlock Holmes style, uh, was a tremendously important decision for the kind of world that uh, he left behind. And that's, it seems to me, one of, one of the real important and, and meaningful parts of this book is sort of a, a rediscovery of, of Eisenhower. You also suggest that George H.W. Bush was much more effective than people give credit to. I wonder if you thought at all about what that then means about the way we, not just as scholars make judgments about leaders um, retrospectively, but how we judge um, those running for office and seeking out to demonstrate their leadership skills or their leadership potential when the successes are often very understated in a way that, that most candidates would never willingly describe themselves as. Well, I think that's right, that we tend in a democracy with uh, all the glories of television and, and uh, the Internet to place emphasis on uh, leaders who are... Uh, good rhetoricians and uh, who are inspirational in their speaking style and so forth. Um, and it may turn out that uh, having very good judgment uh, is more important. I mean, George H.W. Bush, Bush 41, as he's sometimes called, uh, used to famously say that he didn't do the vision thing, and he was not a very good speaker. Uh, and yet he had great contextual intelligence, understanding of the situation or context of uh, foreign policy. Um, and that came from his years of work as uh, ambassador to the UN and CIA director and other important uh, overseas jobs, including representative in Beijing and so forth. Uh, he knew how to 
make sure that things didn't get off course. So that when you had this extraordinary change that went on after 1989 of the fall of Berlin Wall and people worried what was going to happen when you had uh, 400,000 Soviet troops heavily armed in East Germany, could you get through this period peacefully? Uh, Bush was able to negotiate uh, that situation in such a way that not only was Germany unified, but inside NATO, and not a shot was fired. Most people thought that couldn't be done. But it wasn't done because of inspirational speeches. It was done because of a very good sense of the context and the skill of managing the situation. Now, our current president, it's probably too soon to, to reach the kind of judgments that you were able to reach on, on these historic presidents, but what about his style in the, in the foreign arena? Um, is he transactional or inspirational? Where, where do you stand on, on our, our current president? Well, I think it is too soon to make any judgments on Obama and one grading. This is a, a paper in a course or an exam that would be graded as incomplete. He's only halfway through uh, what he's doing. But uh, it's interesting. He, he came to office in 2000, and, in the campaign of 2008, uh, with very transformational type rhetoric. Um, he was going to make very major changes. And you hear those uh, aspirations in the many of the foreign policy speeches he gave at the beginning uh, in 2009. But in practice, I would say that his style has been primarily transactional, that the way that he has responded to various problems, such as the Middle East and so forth, have been very cautious, very prudent, very much more like uh, George H.W. Bush than like uh, uh, his predecessor, George W. Bush. So I think Obama uh, started out trying to be transformational, but became transactional, and given the context, I think that's probably a good thing. Now, this book is, is if not out, it's, it's nearing its, uh, its release to the world. Well, no, it's actually out. It's, uh, okay. it <laughs> and certainly by the time we post this, it'll be out and available in lots of different places and websites uh, for purchase and to read. What's next on your table? Is there another book project that you have uh, started, or, or are you uh, uh, mulling some different options? Uh, what do we have to look forward to from you? Well, I... I uh I don't know whether it's a book yet or not, but I'm doing some research on cyber security and cyber power. In the last book I did before this one, which is called The Future of Power, which was published in 2011, um, or 2011, I guess you should call it, um, the, uh, there's a chapter on cyber power. And um, I've been exploring that, and at some point I may want to expand that to book length. In the meantime, I, I probably will write some articles and, and just see um, what I can help to contribute to clarifying that area. Well, I hope that when, uh, if this new book turns into a, a book, you'll come back. Uh, until then, uh, your uh, current book, Presidential Leadership and the Creation of the American Era, is published by Princeton University Press and is available at the Princeton University Press website, I'm sure on Amazon and lots of other places. Professor Nye, it's such a pleasure to talk to you today. Thank you very much for your time. The pleasure was mine.